Gotham, by the way, needs to have some, uh, I don't know. They need to change their policies on what they consider insane or whatever, because some of these guys, it's like, well, he must be insane. Cause he, dre- he dresses up in a costume and he speaks in riddles. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins. Joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Sheboygan. Yep. Sheboygan. Mm-hmm. And from music video sins, Barrett Cher. Kenosha. There you go. All I knew right. you'd have another All Wisconsin right. town. Wisconsin oh, I've got, I've got them. Wisconsin represent as we speak from Tennessee. Um, <laughs> on the on the runoff of Georgia. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, as we speak, it is January 5th. Uh, and and 25 years ago today, most people in, on, in North America – got 12 monkeys uh was released uh back then it was it's a 1995 film it was limited release in december of 1995 but most people got it in uh the first week of uh of 1996 did you get it at uh were you at williamson square at that point yes um and i saw it at cool springs because we didn't get it uh oh really (laughs) yeah i saw a midnight show of it uh and it might have been like the weekend it opened or something so uh so yeah 12 monkeys is great uh brad pitt got nominated for an oscar uh, right that was obviously his first right i believe so yeah i thought his haircut got nominated for an oscar (laughs) his haircut also got nominated for an oscar it's crazy he famously (laughs) cut his own hair for that role (laughs) yeah 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 um i'm being but, serious uh, yeah no yeah. no I, I i remember there being some things but apparently brad pitt do- looks back on this performance and doesn't like it for some reason is I that right that. i can yeah. see that yeah he doesn't Whoa. like the- yeah. why why can you see that like just it's a little too over it's, the top for yeah it's, there's about 20 percent of it that's just manic for the sake of being manic and i'm not trying to be flippant about Right, um, you know, a mental illness, but but the performance-wise, uh, there, there were just a, a few little affectations, a few too many times where the fingers were going. I don't know. It's not a bad performance at all. Right, I'm just right, saying, right. I can see why he might not enjoy it. I see. Um, Twelve Monkeys was a um, a somewhat remake of a French film called La Jete that came out and uh, was in, in La Jete. If you've ever seen it, it's like a a uh, still photograph movie basically yeah uh, uh, it's got the same co- sort of time travel structure in it but it, it's you know it's it's an unusual film you've never seen you know you've probably never seen anything like this before uh but uh but uh it's uh it's a remake of that and they've obviously expanded on the story and they've they've made a lot of different things out of it and everything but 12 monkeys is about a uh uh, you know, a world that is ravaged by a virus. And, uh, and, uh, many years later, uh, once they've, uh, figured out time travel and everything, they, uh, they, uh, they start sending back, I guess what are, would be convicts, uh, yeah. um, uh, so that I guess there's uh, minimal damage to, uh, innocent people, quote unquote, or whatever. 
uh, and they haven't quite perfected it yet. So Bruce Willis keeps going, being sent back to things like World War One and and uh, other places like that. And finally, they get him back to where they need to, which is they know the apex center of this virus happened in 1995. Um. And uh, they want to they want to try to find the cause of it, but they don't want him to change anything. They don't want him to. They just want him to collect data. Basically, is what it comes down to. Um, and uh, he's collecting as much data as he data as he think is he's he thinks is relevant and everything. But uh, nobody really knows exactly how that virus got started. It, there's a lot of different things that it could be and brad pitt is one of the reasons why it could be he i mean because he's he's uh commanding this army of the 12 monkeys and he's about to let off a bunch he's let out a bunch of zoo animals and stuff and and it just happens to be a coincidence mm-hmm. uh, to the whole thing. yeah this is interesting because terry gilliam had done brazil uh before now mm-hmm. obviously all the monty python stuff mm-hmm. but uh as a director mostly known for brazil then this, and then of course, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and then yeah. on and on. Fisher King, uh, Fisher King, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, this is maybe the most Terry Gilliam-ish movie that I've <laughs> ever seen. Like yeah. everything is bizarre. I don't know. Did you ever see Baron von Munchausen? Yeah, yeah. That's, I don't remember that it being. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I need to go back and watch that. Time Bandit like that. I mean, those oh, oh, 80s wow. movies are, are very, and, and uh, yeah, Baron Munchausen, good God, man. It's like uh, Robin Williams is playing, what, God or something? I can't remember what he was playing. Oh, just insane. It's, it was <laughs> yeah. really off the rails. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, 12 Monkeys is great. I don't know if people really considered it great back in, back in this day. They, I think they kind of considered it, oh, yeah, that was good. That was a good movie. Brad Pitt is finally showing uh that he's not just the pretty face and everything he can actually uh, uh form characters and things like that bruce willis was at the height of his powers during uh this point in time this sure. is when mm-hmm. bruce willis's uh, cares um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> he's not on random dvds covers with a gun staring next to ryan Phillippe. <laughs> yes yes those days are a few years away um uh madeline stowe who was uh, an all-time crush of mine is in this um and uh but yeah you have david morse and you have uh, uh christopher Plummer is in it and mm-hmm. uh uh, but yeah, 12 Monkeys is great. So what we wanted to do, though, is kind of discuss some movies that have elements of 12 Monkeys in it, whether mm-hmm. it's time travel, uh, experience in psychiatric hospitals, uh, and uh, and uh, what else was there on this? Global list? Catastrophes. Oh, Global mm-hmm. Catastrophes. And, yeah. uh, and split them up into different kind of movies. So uh, who wants to start us off? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, it feels like you're pointing. What well, if you're pointing at all of us? If you point into your camera, <laughs> both of ahead. us get pointed at. I chose. Uh, I chose. I, I intentionally went off the beaten path here because, um, well, I wanted to. I like to be. Uh, I like to swim against the grain. Uh, the first movie I wanted to talk about that uh, has similarities with some with Twelve Monkeys, and we're not comparing quality here um uh, is sure. the butterfly effect with ashton kutcher mm-hmm. um and uh amy smart and what i like about this movie at least until the very end 
and what I think it has in common with 12 Monkeys is that it suggests you can't change the past, at least not without fucking up something else. And so that's what happens is Ashton Kutcher and his two childhood best friends suffer like child pedophilia from one of the dads. It's like this movie is truly disgusting if you step back and just like read what it's about. Uh, but Ashton Kutcher finds out in college, hey, I'm going to read my old childhood journals um, and <laughs> realizes he gets nosebleeds when he reads his childhood journals and he can travel to the past um, as you do. <laughs> this is why I got C's in college. Um, <laughs> and so he tries to fix things so that he and his friends will have better lives. And he just keeps fucking it up in the most ridiculous ways. He ends up a quadruple amputee at one point because of mm-hmm. one of his choices, which is ludicrous and over the top, but makes the point pretty well that, you know, and he realizes ultimately the more I mess with things, the more I, f- I fuck things up. But then the movie cheats. And allows him to go back one last time the day he meets Amy Smart, his best friend, and he intentionally makes her mad so that when her parents get divorced, she won't be friends with him and she'll choose to live with her mom, which she does, which is across town. And then she never suffers the stuff from her dad. And he ends up basically the movie gives itself the finger basically by the end and says he he is allowed to change the past with no butterfly effects. Um, And they he can't they made a different ending too uh that and i think that's what i ended up seeing again i i that that ending you just described i think uh may have been the first one the theatrical version and then yeah, later on cut. and then later on they did this one where he he was able to go back to when he was a, a baby basically and be reborn and everything. And I can't remember all the, the details yeah. of that. Wikipedia. He travels back to the moment and strangles himself in the womb with his umbilical cord. Yeah. So yeah. as to prevent the multi-generational curse from continuing. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. That's one that I saw recently. <laughs> Holy well, shit. You the director, right? Yeah. We, we, we talked to Eric Bress uh, earlier. Yeah summer and uh and i watched the butterfly effect again just to get some uh refresh my memory of it and everything so we could talk to him a little bit about it and everything and apparently that was his preferred ending he wanted that in the first place it's great it's so much Uh, better yeah and himself in the womb with his umbilical cord (laughs) yeah man that's Uh, fucking metal right there man yeah yeah holy Uh, shit yeah and uh and and what what was weird about that is that that movie made New Line Cinema the most money that year, I guess, or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, and ninety six million. Yeah, and uh, and uh, then Eric Bress for the longest time didn't direct anything, which was weird. Like uh, that's one of the questions we asked him was like, you know, like so what's been going on since? <laughs> um, and uh and uh you know he told that he told that story and everything he did a movie called uh, ghosts of war earlier in the oh yeah um but uh yeah butterfly effect is better on the on the second go around i think the first time you watch it the first time i watched it i was so used to ashton kutcher in that 70s show that it was hard it was so hard to get around the kelso and everything on him and uh and that's not fair to the movie or him but uh 
but you know, get got some distance and you watch it now and it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is, this was good. This was actually like actually really good. So yeah, um, I find it funny that, uh, you chose an Ashton Kutcher movie to compare to a Bruce Willis movie. Yeah. Uh, well, let's just pretend I did that shit on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> They're not together. He was with Demi Moore for, for quite a while though. Right. Ashton yeah. was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now he's with uh, the 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 Mila, right? Mila Kunis. That's, that's how she, she prefers got... you call her, the Mila. Mm-hmm. That's who he's One got. Time, Justin like Timberlake said, "Drop the the," and she said, "No, it's like my whole essence, the Mila." Yeah. He has uh, that's who he has uh, kids with. Is Mila Kunis? Ah, that story okay. is awesome too because she apparently was single and was was on the prowl, so to speak, or whatever, mm-hmm. and like saw this dude in the in backstage. And she was like, oh, wow, he looks pretty good. And then turns out it's like, you know, Ashton Kutcher, this guy that she'd worked with for many years on a show. And, uh, and it was just, it was, I don't know, it was perfect timing for them. Oh, God bless him. God bless him. Yeah. Um, of course, we would be remiss if we did not discuss Back to the Future, which, by the way, I, as much as much as I love this movie, it's ridiculous about time travel, <laughs> I think. Um, I think. Um, if, if, if time travel were to work this way, uh, Marty is changing way more than just his immediate, uh, family's, uh, fortunes on. Yes. Him. Yes. And, and Biff's. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, back to the future is an all timer. It has to be discussed. Uh, even though it's, it's, it, at this point it may feel tiresome and everything, but, uh, 1985, I was eight perfect timing for that movie to come out and back to the future. You know, it's got a very simplistic uh, look at time travel. I mean, it's, it's very, very, very simple. Like, like all he has to do is, is make sure that everything that he fucked when he came back gets unfucked. And that's, that's how he does. it. He just goes back and makes sure that everything that happened before happens, you know, happens again. And with maybe a little bit of, uh, uh, some extra, uh, now his dad isn't, isn't, uh, isn't like such a weenie when he comes back and everything, which is another thing, by the way, that would change so many things. Yeah. That his confidence. Like he would have written that book probably way sooner than 1985, 30 years after he conceived of it and everything like the, it's the, the, the chances of those same kids being there are not even, uh, you know, not even a good, not even a good chance of that even, but uh, back to the future is a great movie, even though it's time travel is silly and simplistic. What a, what a ludicrous plot, like even outside of the time travel, like the addition of the DeLorean, the, the, the mad scientist and the kid, the addition of him being a rock and roll enthusiast, mm-hmm. like, uh, like, you know, all the, 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 the Biff stuff, like there's just so much, the incest, there's so much that goes into this that like did some, it was Bob uh, Gale that, that wrote uh, mm-hmm. the screenplay with uh, Zemeckis, right? Yep. I wonder, I wonder if this was like a Ghostbusters thing where they started out with a completely different script and like ended up with, still a lot of zaniness i actually but, don't even know it, it's surprisingly i don't know the the story behind that i've never heard of anything of them uh going like they had a different thing going before then other than the eric stoltz was was marty 
you would think by now I probably would have heard something if that was a, if it had been a completely different Ghostbusters type of thing, but uh, who knows? I don't know if they had some other kind of uh, story beforehand, but I love how his rock is just too hard for two different eras, 30 years apart. Huey Lewis in the eighties is like, dude, you're just too darn loud. And then he goes back to the fifties. And of course he's too darn loud for the fifties. Like he's the hardest rock and rocker in (laughs) all of the USA. What's funny is that he's, he's, Playing this face melting solo in the middle of Power of Love. <laughs> but he's got these scents like he starts the song off with the solo. The, 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 the thing whole is, thing off. The, that that but the thing is about that though is he's playing quote his own music in 1985. In 1955, he's playing Chuck Berry, which is not too far away from where they are. So yeah, if he played, if he did that, you know, power love nonsense, like in 1955, <laughs> that would have been that they would have kicked him off the stage. <laughs> well, now I want to see a mashup. I want to see somebody take the footage from the dance and put the power love performance to that, and then show like the 50s people reacting. Like, why don't we just do that today? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna load her up. <clears throat> hey, uh, did you guys? Did you guys ever uh, try to skateboard behind a car? Dude, I tried to skateboard three times and never again. That shit is not for me. I never got. I never got behind a car. I couldn't even go two blocks. Yeah, you didn't ever do it, Chris. No, I've never skateboarded. Have you not? No. Oh, I did. Uh, I, I I did it very slowly in a parking lot. And it mm-hmm. was exhilarating, but then I I fell on my ass. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It was fun good. though. It was it was never anything that was uh, interesting to me. I had 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 buddies who skateboarded, but uh, I never got. It's not. It was not my interest at all. I've never been interested in any of that type of stuff. Skateboarding, no. skating. Skiing. The only reason I ever went to a skating rink was for girls, not yeah. for skating. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I yeah, mean, I was skating. Went to the old skate center in Brentwood a couple of times, but I wasn't very good at skating. Yeah, no. Just kind of like shuffled through. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I got on. I got on the floor and was just like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, Marty McFly was not. He wasn't a flashy skateboarder. Like he would, he would go. He used it as a method of transport. Practical skateboarder. He was practical. <laughs> you didn't see him like ollieing or or axling or fucking doing anything off a roof or anything. He was just fucking. He he wasn't kick flipping. He was just mm-hmm. traveling. You have the now man. exhausted all the skateboarding terms that I know. He also uh, like it, it seemed like because there's that moment where he's like he's trying not to be seen by the truck, and he looks mm-hmm. back and he kind of gives the the wave and stuff like that. Like if you picked up a skateboarder <laughs> on the back of your truck, would you have a problem with that? You'd just be like, all right, whatever. I mean, no, it's, I, it's I no mean, skin off my sack, right? I'd be afraid about litigation. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't want a I lawsuit. I'm worried about safety and stuff. That dude has a, I think, a, like a mellow yellow cap on. The dude that, <laughs> yeah, mellow yellow or Mountain Dew. I can't remember. What it is. <laughs> I hope it's mellow yellow. If it's, if it's 85, it's got to be mellow yellow. I understand yeah. that Jonathan on the Behind the Sins podcast beat me to my hot take that mellow yellow is better than Mountain Dew. And I guess he right? did it like two months ago. Yeah. Pretty upset about it. I'm surprised by that take, by the way. 
I love Mellow Yellow. The I like Mountain Dew. I just prefer Mellow Yellow. The fuck? Mm. A lot harder to find. Is it hard right. to find? Compared to Mountain Dew? Shit, yeah. Mellow <sighs> Yellow. Because Is it's that not a Coke? Popular. Is that a yeah, Coke it's product? It's a Coke, Coke product. What's the difference? Is it sweeter? Is it like... To me, it's the same difference as Coke and Pepsi. So Pepsi is a little sweeter. Coke is a little edgier. Uh, <laughs> Mountain Dew is a little sweeter. Uh, Mellow Yellow is a little, little edgier. Got a little more yeah. um, bubble kick. Little, little mouthfeel. Yeah. 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 Mountain Yellow more. Uh, but then, you know, then Mountain Dew started ruling. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mellow yeah. Yellow. I, I, when I go back when I go back to Mellow Yellow, I'm just like, uh, I don't know. This is not this is not what I want anymore. So <laughs> this is not my type of guy. Was it Mellow Yellow the uh, Cold Trickle? Uh, the the Coal uh, Diggle? Uh, Please, car? Days of Thunder. Yeah. Pretty sure that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> you totally believe that there was a Cold Trickle out there right now racing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, because yeah. there was a trickle. That's the thing. Is they didn't even try. To, Wasn't there to a dick it. trickle or something yes. like that? Yes. That's why yeah. when that movie comes out, it's a cheap-ass name. They didn't even try to come up with a clever sound-alike. They just literally used the same last name. Oh, there's already a trickle. Well, let's just use that. <laughs> Barrett, when you, Barrett, when you, Barrett, when you go back and listen to this, it's going to be literally me going, dick trickle? And then you going, is there a dick trickle? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Much like the "What Dreams May Come" joke that we didn't laugh at last uh, last week, which I feel bad about. What's yours? Uh, mine. Okay, so Chris has an analytical mind, and Jeremy has a brilliant mind, and you're both brilliant. But like, I I have a limited mind, and I can't wrap my brain around all the different types of time travel out there. Like, if I watched Primer, which both of you have, right? Mm-hmm. If I watched Primer and even read the whole Wikipedia or whatever it is, the the dissertation on it, I still probably would not be able to figure it out. Wikipedia, There's just too much. Wikipedia entry has a picture diagram of what happens when these people go into the time machine that they've made. And yeah. it, it, make, it makes it easier for you to understand what's going well, on. Well, maybe, maybe I could. There's only a few now. There's I know when things don't make sense, like fucking Avengers Endgame. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah. it's hard for me to write. It's hard for me to think in the words of Doc Brown. Think fourth dimensionally. Like mm-hmm. I, it's just it's hard for me to figure out what would uh, what would actually happen in those those circumstances. Uh, so for that reason, I chose a more fantastical uh, version of this time travel topic. Midnight in Paris. A uh, movie that we've mentioned before, but we haven't really talked about much. Uh, this is of the latter day Woody Allen movies, one of the best. I think it was nominated for Best Picture. Um, yeah, I think- at the time, it's it's weird because it's got Owen Wilson, and I appreciate Owen Wilson. He's got his own thing, right? But then anybody that's cast as a lead in a Woody Allen movie, match point notwithstanding is called upon to do the Woody Allen impersonation. Kenneth Branagh did it. Jason Segel, did, uh, not Jason Segel, Jason uh, Piefucker, Jason uh, Biggs. Biggs. Jason Biggs did it. Um, I'm the Piefucker. I'm the Piefucker. <laughs> like, uh, like Will Ferrell did it in uh, uh, Melinda and Melinda. Like, uh, but, but Owen Wilson, 
who plays this uh, this uh, screenwriter turned novelist, uh, plays it with his own certain charm. Yes, there is some dialogue in there where it seems very Woody Allen-ish, but uh, what happens is he goes to Paris with his uh, with his fiance, uh, played by Rachel McAdams. Yeah, Rachel mm-hmm. McAdams. Uh, who is fucking around with him, uh, with, uh, dude hit not, uh, Sheen, Sheen, Michael, Michael Sheen, Michael Sheen, uh, unbeknownst to Owen Wilson's character. And so he is a romantic. He falls in love with Paris. And again, it's very Owen Wilson-y. It's not very Woody Allen-y. Do you guys agree with this? Like it's not an, an impression as much as it is an affectation. It's not an impression, but it's the same type of character. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. He's a screenwriter yeah. that that strives for something deeper, which yeah. is you know a different age. So as he's walking around Paris by himself, he runs into this carriage uh, carrying a bunch of historical figures from I think the 1920s or around there. Uh, the uh, uh, Louis Buñuel and uh, Ernest Hemingway and Gertrude Stein and uh, 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 Picasso and Salvador Dali. And uh, and uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald and stuff like that. And he's like, yes, this is my age. This is my time. This is the the era that I want to be in. And then he gets returned to the present where he's got to deal with his, of course, Woody Allen writes wet blanket girlfriends all the time. And right. uh, Rachel McAdams somehow becomes a wet blanket. Then he goes back and he keeps going back to this this era, which he loves so much. He meets this woman, uh, Marianne Cotillard. Uh, plays uh, 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 she plays Ar- Adriana, who's a lover of everybody, basically. But she loves the Belle Epoque, the uh, the 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 1700s to 1800s in Paris. So they travel back to that period, and it's you know ultimately a fable about living in the present rather than you know pining for the past and the past eras and stuff like that. But the time travel aspect of this works narratively beautifully in this uh the you can tell all the bit players adrian brody salvador dali uh who plays Bunuel, uh uh adrian devon uh which is funny there's one time is it uh godard or is it Bunuel where uh gill uh owen wilson's character tries to describe louis Bunuel's movie his eventual movie to him and he's like, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> it doesn't make, because they're all surrealists and futurists and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, it's just it's an absolutely fabulous movie with a dynamic cast, you know. Uh, and and Owen Wilson is adorable in this. You know, he he lo- he adores Paris. He likes walking in the rain, uh, and uh, it's it's a love letter. Uh, to that European city as Woody Allen was in that phase of his career at this point. Rome, Barcelona, Barcelona, uh, you know, London and Match Point. Uh, this is an absolute uh, winner, and it's Man. a cool time travel story. <clears throat> there is a play uh, called Picasso at the La Pinagio, mm-hmm. uh, written by Steve Martin, um, that is very similar to this. And, really? Josh Childs, friend of the show, was in a production of this maybe 20 years ago, and that's when I saw it. Um, but it's in like the early 1900s in Paris, and Picasso and Einstein meet in this cafe huh. and have a debate about whether science or art is the greater genius. 
And then later, like fucking Elvis comes back in time and crashes the party to say sometimes genius is neither art nor science. Um, um, it's an interesting play, but it's very similar kind of setting and historical figures together having these interesting. It reminds me of this uh, new Regina King movie, um, One Night in Miami. What's it called? Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One Night in Miami. I, yeah. I, I have, I know nothing about that. Is that similar it's, to this? No. Well, it's a fictional account of four greats. Uh, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, oh, Jeremy. Oh. Getting together and having a conversation one night when they all stayed in the same hotel. Interesting. Um, so it's a similar concept, I guess, and sort of sort of playing with historical figures uh, in, in fictional conversations they might have had with each huh. other. But I love, I love One Night in Paris. Uh, one Night in Paris? Midnight in Paris. Paris. <laughs> <laughs> I do love I do love One Night in Paris. The I love Midnight in Paris, too. Photography was uh, groundbreaking. But, uh, Paris Hilton's Sorry. never been better. The only time Paris Hilton and Woody Allen ever worked together. <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, we do. We talk a lot about you know Woody Allen movies, especially the, the early ones, but uh, this is one of his best. Um, you know, I put this up there with Blue Jasmine, with Match Point. Um, as it, the the better latter day Woody Allen movies, yeah, I for agree. sure. I think it's great. Uh, do we want to continue giving uh, examples of time travel, or do we want to move on to the next? We need to move on. Yeah, let's move on to the next one. Okay, so burn through it. Global catastrophe uh, section of this. Yeah, <laughs> I um stuck pretty close uh to the theme here and went with a pandemic type movie and global illness has wiped out a lot of mankind movie i'm going with my homeboy dawn of the planet of the apes yeah um, my do. favorite I mean, well monkeys in this movie are are very close like uh as far as uh what's actually happened and and everything and yeah uh, uh lower primates in the whole thing so yeah um um, the end of Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which is a great film. Um, the credits do that great thing where you see the spread of the disease, and it's this just an, an excellent tease. If that movie had been shit, we'd make fun of them for teasing a sequel that they were never going to get. But it was good. Um, mm-hmm. And then War comes at the end, and it's a amalgamation of about seven other films, and I like it. But Dawn in the middle is my very favorite. Uh, Jason Clark is good. Um, <sighs> Uh, Andy Serkis uh, steals the show. The guy that plays Koba is outstanding. (laughs) And, you know, it's as it feels realistic as much as a talking ape pandemic snowy movie can feel realistic. The the beats that it hits emotionally, I've talked about before when they get the power up at the gas station and they start playing that um, take a load off Annie song and they start dancing (laughs) because they haven't heard music. Wait, you know. In forever, yeah. um, <clears throat> you would know the name of that song. That's right. It's called "Take a Load Off Annie Barrett." That's called the weight. <laughs> the band. Um, I the love band that moment. Um, you know, the, Koba is a flushed-out villain that you can sympathize with, um, unlike Woody Harrelson in the third movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> human work. And he points at his scars. Oh, so they like try. Them. They try really hard. They make him like Koba by the end they of do. it. They it do. Doesn't... They try too hard. Are you are you saying Rise or Dawn? 
is is your your pick here. Dawn, right in the middle. That's that's the best you. of the trilogy. I, I like. I agree. Three. It is the end of Rise that where there's um you can get a lot of like Twelve Monkeys kind of vibes Absolutely. more than anything. Uh, but 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 Dawn is the movie the where the actual apocalypse has happened and everything at that point. Yeah, does that really? is Gary Oldman in in Dawn? Yeah, he's yeah. the he's the he's the not really bad bad guy. Koba's the bad bad guy, but of course at the very end, Gary Oldman's like, let's blow up this tower that has right. you know innocent people on it. But uh, up until then, he's just trying to protect the people for the most part. Yeah, no, yeah, that's what I appreciate about that movie is that no one, not even Koba or any of the apes is necessarily bad or, or even good. Well, Caesar is unimpeachably good basically, but like, no, there's no black and white. You can see why Koba does what he does. Yep. Uh, and you can see why Gary Oldman does what he does. Yep. Uh, you can see that Jason Clark has this sort of, you know, connection. I think he, he delivers more, it's a different type of performance than uh, James Franco in the first movie. Uh, but, but in a nice empathetic type of performance. And uh, it's a lot less ape centric, obviously than war. Uh, it, it does focus on the remaining humans and mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah. It's definitely that's of all that trilogy. That's the one that I'm going back and watching much more often than anything yeah. else. It's got that three sixty tank shot. That is one of my 10 favorite shots of all time. Um, God, I can't wait to see this dude's Batman. I know people are sick of Batman, but I'm ready. Bring it on. Did he do – He did. Matt Reeves did this in War. He didn't do the first one, right? No, that was Rupert uh, – Wyatt. Murdoch. Wyatt. Rupert Wyatt. Interesting. And then – so Reeves had done Cloverfield before then, right? Yes. But uh, this was probably one of his first big, big uh, budget things, right? Yeah, I would think. I don't have his IMDb in front of me, but I think he went from Cloverfield to Dawn. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm ready to see what he does with Batman. I hope the rumors about him and Pattinson fighting are untrue. I, you know, I hope they fight. They should fight. The lead okay. and the director should, should scrap a little bit. Okay. He also mm-hmm. did, did he do one of the Kingsmen or did he do both of the Kingsmen? No, that was Matt. Um, different Matt. Matthew oh, Matthew Vaughn. That's right. Okay. Uh, the the movie he did between Cloverfield and Dawn was Let Me In, the remake of uh, Let Ah, Me In. yes. Which oh, is that was good. really good. Yeah, it's no, it wasn't as good as the original, yeah. Good. <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, as for sci-fi, apocalypse, global catastrophe, um, I went with, God, I don't know what I want to go with. This we're kind of going with one, I think. <laughs> um I'm going to, I'm, I, I was going to say the matrix mainly because, uh, you can, you know, it, it is a, there has been a global catastrophe. It's not, it's not a big thing though, that is in that you can see really in that movie, like every, cause everything is in the matrix or you're underground or whatever you're, wherever you're at at the time. But, uh, I'm going to go with Mad Max, the road warrior, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Everything after the original Mad Max, which is sort of, I think, uh, I, th- I sort of think is a warning of what's possibly going to happen. 
in the in the first Mad Max, but then in Road Warrior, it's all about you know gasoline shortage and and uh, you know people are like just down to their last you know uh, gasoline is like the is, is really all natural resources in the Mad Max series is what it ends up coming down to gasoline. You have water and Fury Road, um, all these things that we sort of take for granted are like the our currency in this world and everything and uh man considering what's going on with like water right now i'm just like please let me just be off the planet when that happens (laughs) (laughs) there's there's a shot that that's that whole water is currency thing could happen in in the next i don't know a few decades or so Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know i don't know maybe i shouldn't say that out loud but that seems like that's something that that could happen uh but uh uh but but yeah the 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 world's shown by the road warrior and beyond thunderdome and and fury road are are all um just our worlds that just i don't we don't know what has made we don't know what's made the devastation but it's it's certainly something that feels real feels realistic enough that you know that these type of things that people would be forced to go off and build their own communities again and there wouldn't be any big cities anymore and there was only a few people in power who were all fascists pretty much at this point uh you know i you know in beyond thunderdome they may have actually said what happened like it might have been a an atomic bomb Cause there's a story that is told with the kids in beyond Thunderdome. It may be an atomic bomb or an airplane hmm. or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Uh, but, um, they do, they do discuss what causes it. I believe in beyond Thunderdome, but anyway, uh, that's, that's the, uh, the, the type of world we haven't quite got there in 12 monkeys yet. Although 12 monkeys doesn't really show its future very often. Um, it, it, it shows, a it shows a world where things are kind of like everybody's inside and everybody, we don't know what the outside world really looks like in 12 monkeys. So it could be there, out there. Isn't that underground? Like all the, uh, the, the prisons and all that stuff. It's in some sort of cave system or something like yeah, that. Something like that. Although it looks like they still have access to really advanced technologies and, yeah. Uh, and power and all this type of stuff but just maybe the problem is not so much resources but just the fact that they can't get above ground because that virus is so deadly um so i i i don't know we don't get to see that but that's kind of interesting to think about and now that now that we were talking about 12 monkeys they don't really show that future world too Right. What really the deal going on? We just know that the virus is horrible and that that's why they're where they're at. So it's been forever since I've seen road warrior. He, uh, Mel Gibson still has his Aussie accent in both of the, what, all three of them? The first ones. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I got in the first one, even the first one it's, I mean, it's there, but it's not very, it's not like pronounced. I don't think. Um, uh, he's not quite to lethal weapon Mel Gibson yet, obviously, but, but you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it, I don't think he's, a, he, he's either never had 
a really strong Australian accent, or he's he toned it down even then when the first Mad mm. Max. So, and this was uh, were all three of them George Miller? Mm-hmm. Well, all the three of the well, all four of them, I guess. Four yeah, of yeah. Them, yeah. yeah, it's funny because I'm watching Happy Feet and Happy Feet Two, which is also George Miller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck, dude. Babe, you created Emerton Joe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and and that guy was in the first one. The guy who played uh, uh, Joe in the in Mad in Fury Road was in the first one. He's one of the. I think he's one of. The Is he really in the first one? Yeah, but yeah. he dies at the end of the first one. So I don't know if it's supposed to be the same character or what. But that guy is in the same. Is in both of them. You know they're going to make a Furiosa movie, and they've cast Anya Taylor Joy. Oh really? As Furiosa. And, hang on, and Chris Hemsworth and Yahya Abdul Mateen the second. Oh, that guy uh, was in the trial of the Chicago Seven. That guy's awesome. He's mm-hmm. everywhere. He was in Watchmen, and now he's everywhere. He's in the Fourth Matrix movie. He yeah. was in Trial of Chicago Seven. He's everywhere, and I like him, so it's good. He plays uh, Regina King's husband in Watchmen, right? Yes. Yeah. This was supposed to be the movie that Charlize Theron was going to be in. Mm-hmm. And then they shelved it for whatever reason, and then now they've they've and Anya Taylor Joy is a perfect choice. Oh yeah, she'll do great. And I, I, guess, have, I there are even some looks like there's rumors that Charlize may somehow appear somehow in the movie. Mm. So well, I mean, it would be very much Mad Maxy to do that because Tom Hardy played Mad Max in Fury Road, and Mel yeah. Gibson played it before. So you can always it can always be like James Bond, right? It doesn't matter, and like you know. <laughs> This is this different actors playing the same code name or whatever. Why not? Well, for a sci-fi global catastrophe for me, I just actually caught this again recently. It's been a while. The uh, 1978 version of uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Ooh, Mm. with Donnie Sutherland? Yes. Mm -hmm. And Uh, Jeff Goldblum and Spock. And this, this this story has been made many, many times. Most recently, I think, is the Nicole Kidman, Daniel Craig invasion, which mm-hmm. was hot fucking garbage that you urinate that? on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but this one is the definitive version because it's an allegory, of course, uh, of assimilation and stuff like that. But it's also so fucking freaky. And I'll tell you why it's freaky. It, it it starts with such mundane everyday shit like <clears throat> Donald Sutherland is a health inspector and, <clears throat> and so he's he's working in his health. He's not like a super spy. He's not an FBI agent or anything like that. He's a fucking health inspector in San Francisco. He's got a buddy, Leonard Nimoy, that's a psychiatrist. Uh, he's got another buddy uh, who's dating a friend that uh, Jeff Goldblum and it just goes around San Francisco, not with the showy, you know, big pyramid building or like Chinatown and stuff like that. Just regular ass San Francisco. And just seeing all this freaky shit happen in the most mundane circumstances. You know, somebody, it, you know, you can see the shades of this in Jordan Peele's Us. Like somebody is acting one way uh one day and then the next day they're acting completely different somebody else who's tangentially related who's on their side acts one way and then they act differently the next day the, the really cool part about this is the Leonard Nimoy character and it's an old movie so I can spoil a little bit of it the Leonard Nimoy character turns into a pod person midway through but his behavior 
doesn't change so much that it gives it away. That you're like, oh, he's a pod person. It, it it changes to where like you can see his motivation is a little bit sketchy, but he ain't all the way bad. And so when it does be when it is revealed uh, that he that he is a pod person, it's it's a smack in the face. And then of course the final scene. Oh, where he yells, "Soylent Green is people." That's exactly. Been- it's yeah. it's it's very weird, and then he says, "God damn you all to hell," <laughs> which is even crazier. Uh, but no, that final scene will give you nightmares uh, for sure. Uh, the cast is great in this; it holds up. Trust me. Yeah, of course, you know there's seventies fashion and stuff like that, but it holds up just as well today as it did in 1978. Uh, you should watch this movie, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Don't watch. Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman trip over themselves trying to get away from. There's one in the nineties uh, too, right? Yeah. One yes. in the nineties. That's really good. Uh, that's worth watching. It's not the best. It's not better than the original, but uh, I saw that one. Who's in that one? That's the, um, it's got Meg Tilly and it's got, um, Gabrielle Anwar. Um, Oh, the 93 version. Yeah. The, uh, Abel Ferreira. Uh, Arlie Army, yeah, Arlie Army. Although it's got a six point oh on the IMDb, so not everybody likes it. But uh, I thought it was good. Interesting. Um, I'm gonna try that. Yeah. But yeah, it ain't it ain't that original version or that. Oh, it's so movie. good. God, I mean, I, I watched it. It just it came on. I was like, I've seen this before, but like it just immediately hooks you in. And I tell you what, man, Donald Sutherland is a charismatic ass leading man. Mm-hmm. And people forget that because he's he's funny looking, and uh, and he's, he's old. Got a, Simmons he's is got old. A kid named Kiefer, but like, uh, but he was charming, man. No, I did. I, I saying the original, but there was a there's a 1956 version of that movie. Yeah, too. fuck that version. You're talking about was, yeah, Donnie S. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in that and everything. Yeah, Simmons is old. Simmons is old. <laughs> All right, everybody, it's time to talk about better help. BetterHelp! I tell you what, BetterHelp, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. we love it. We love it. You've heard it before. We also have a BetterHelp spot on one of our videos that we released as we record today on the Mulan video. So go check that out, too. Uh, BetterHelp is online counseling that is available from the comfort of your own home. You get matched with licensed counselors, uh, and it could not be easier. And I'll you, give you an example of... Uh, a conversation that I had with my counselor this week. While we were doing our therapy, uh, we were talking about a, a specific mindfulness thing. And boom, I heard this ding dong. And she had shot me that diagram of what we were talking about in a an instant message outside of the chat that we were having. So the 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 platform itself is conducive to not only just like sitting there and talking to somebody and looking at them or chatting, you know, via text or something like that. Like it's, it's very interactive. You schedule in your counseling room, you, uh, you exchange documents in your counseling room, you set up your, your, uh, uh, your, your, uh, chats and your, your things like that in your counseling room. It's so convenient. You could do it with all different devices. BetterHelp has, has really changed my life. And I think it's changing a lot of people's lives. There is a, a piece of advice I want to give, and that is to take notes, um, not yeah. during, 
not during therapy, um, because that's disrespectful to the process and your therapist. But one, a good therapist, the good ones I've had, takes notes. And when I see them uh, the next time, they bring up things we talked about before. And how are you doing on this? And how is this going? And that's very helpful for them to be able to be my therapist. But it's equally helpful for me as the uh, patient uh, to when I'm done with a therapy session, either and I've done it both ways, either typing in like a journal uh, writing, if you prefer to do analog or uh, even like a, they make these mini digital recorders now that are super cheap. You can just kind of record some thoughts or just use your mind. phone, like do a voice memo. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, go back to that at least once before your next session. You'd be surprised, like shocked how much it helps uh, both kickstart that next therapy session, but also keep you on the right path. So. Absolutely, because there'll be times where you'll leave a thread. I mean, there's only so much time yep. in your session, and you'll be like, you know, I've, I've just started to unpeel this this layer, and you're like, okay, well, we got to move on. And then a week later, you're like, oh, well, how was your week? And then you start talking about your week, and then you get off on another subject. But absolutely, Jeremy's completely right. If you can say, hey, by the way, I was thinking about that thing that we were talking about last week, then you've got a starting off point and it's like unpausing a video game. You know, you can get right back into it instead of starting it from the very beginning. It's also uh, basic, like learning, like techniques, right? In school, when you're a kid, the teacher doesn't lecture you for an hour. The teacher says some stuff and then has you read the same shit out of the book and then has you write that same shit on a piece of paper uh, because it's repetition. It stays yeah. in your mind. It, it sticks there. And, and so Writing down and then rereading um, what you remember from your therapy session is, is really educational uh, for your own process. Absolutely. Listen, go to betterhelp.com slash syncast. Uh, for a special deal, you get 10% off your first month. Use that month very, very wisely. Uh, that is critical because that's where you get matched with your counselor. That's where you really establish the rapport. You can change counselors, by the way, if you if you're not feeling it, if you're not feeling like uh, things are progressing well after a while, uh, you can do that with no judgment, no uh, problems, anything like that. Uh, that first month is really a launching pad. It make of it what you will, but but go in with a purpose. Don't just be like, all right, fix me, because that's mm -hmm. not how this works. Mm -hmm. uh, so go to betterhelp.com slash sendcast, uh, get the special deal, get matched, answer a few questions, get matched with the counselor, and you're off and running. And I, let me tell you, you know, obviously this is a difficult time for a lot of people, especially as we are in the thick of winter. Uh, a lot of people have seasonal affective issues, whether it's depression or anxiety or anything like that, even in the best of times. <laughs> and this is not necessarily the best of times. So uh, go to betterhelp.com slash Zencast today uh, and thank us later. It's a great service. We love it. We use it. Go. And then the uh, the final element of Twelve Monkeys is uh, psychiatric hospitals. Uh, yeah, if you if you come from the future and you start telling people that you're from the future, <sighs> there's not really any way to prove that, is there? But <laughs> one thing that's good about uh, uh, Bruce Willis's uh, uh, plight in this that sort of gets Madeline Stowe on his side is that he shows up in a photograph from from World War One or two. I can't remember which one. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, so she does, she does, she isn't able to explain that. And that's where she starts going down her, 
in, in her journey of being, well, I don't know if this is real or not, but I think I believe this crazy ass story. And what does that mean? Because I'm a psychiatrist. I'm a well-known author. What does that mean for me and everything? So I'm, am I crazy or is there a bullet in his leg too that supported that story? Bullet. Yeah. Bullet. They, okay. they, they took him in, they took out the bullet from world war one. Uh, right. Because the guy, the guy is like, it's like the bullet took out, uh, is an antique. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and, uh, and so there, yeah, there's that one asshole guy that's in this movie. That's, uh, that's like, uh, uh, really like, what is it? What's up with this Bruce Willis fuckhead? You know, like, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the bullet, but she also, I think it's the bullet and then she goes and finds the, the photograph. After. Yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, well, psychiatric hospitals. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna kick it off with Terminator Two because um, I've always been fascinated by this. Granted, that the main psychiatrist guy is an asshole who's like aggressively mean to her, um, and I don't know that that's necessary because I think a a normal, morally good psychiatrist who had a patient saying a robot came back from the future to kill me. Uh, or and a man came back from the future to save me, you would definitely not believe that woman, and you would do everything in your power to convince her that she's having delusions. Mm-hmm. But because we know it's true, it feels like they're gaslighting her. Um, yeah. Because we saw the robot, we know this is all true. But in in a in a normal psychiatric hospital, she would be a a long term patient. Um, mm-hmm. because we just don't process these things as being real and it has to be a symptom of some kind of an illness. Um, and again, I think they, that, that doctor shows up in rise of the machines at the cemetery. And I think they very flippantly either kill him or injure him. But, uh, I never felt, I never understood why they felt the need to make that guy such an ogre since you could make him a good doctor and he would still feel like a villain or a hurdle in her way, uh, because yeah. we know the truth. Well, and he, in the first movie, he sees something that he is not natural. Uh, That's right. All. Yeah. And it, the problem for him as, uh, as a supposed man of science is that there has to be an explanation that does not involve time travel. Right. So, <laughs> uh, so even though he has seen proof and everything and it, it, by T2 though, he should know that there's robots coming back because that's when that liquid metal shit happens right in front of his eyes. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, in the first one, he noted, he sees some things that isn't, it's not natural at all. So, uh, there's no real explanation for it, but because he's a man of science, he's willing to be able to just say, okay, well, that's just something I can't explain. Uh, and, uh, I'll continue treating her like she is crazy about this. So, and she's in the, Sarah's in the the hospital for the first what fifteen twenty minutes of the movie or so. Oh, more than that, like that almost right? forty five minutes or so before they even get to her. I mean, she's in a couple scenes, but there's so much more than you remember of Arnold and Robert Patrick and that fucking snotty kid being a <laughs> snotty kid. And and he had video him, games, <laughs> chasing him through the mall and then the LA River, and then and then finally they get to her. It's probably a third of the way through the movie. Yeah. Wow, wow, pretty far in. Uh, by the time they start off with her on tape talking about you know what what the apocalypse is going to look like, 
and you know she she reviews the tape and says well i you know i'm much better now i don't don't think that anymore and all that and the the doctor to his credit is like i think you just tell me what you want want me to hear which unfortunately i mean that's a how do you get convinced at that point that's the that's the 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 tough thing but yeah it does it takes a good long time before they break her out because yeah there's a lot of stuff before that before uh eddie furlong is like uh Let's go get my mom. We got to get my mom out of the <laughs> Um so yeah, I don't I don't know which one I want to do here. I'm going to go I think I'm going to go with Shutter Island. Ooh. Um, awesome. I was going to I was thinking about Batman and the Arkham Asylum stuff, but we we don't see a lot of Arkham Asylum. We only see you know, when somebody is gone there and, 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 uh, they're locked up or whatever, Gotham, by the way, needs to, they need to, uh, have some, uh, I don't know. They need to change their policies on what they consider insane or whatever, because some of these guys, it's like, well, he must be insane. Cause he dre- he dresses up in a costume and he speaks in riddles and it's like, <laughs> to jail i mean in one of the criteria like you know that they understand what's happening and all that and most of these people do understand what's going on uh and why they're being charged and everything but they always send them to the arkham asylum and batman but that's uh, true you got a costume on you're going to arkham oh yeah man you're fucked um uh, shutter island uh, has dicaprio and where he's trying to uh solve this mystery and the and you know uh, spoiler alert the doctors are allowing him to do this he's uh you know he's uh um he's he's trying to solve this mystery and he's he's uh being allowed to go around all of shutter island uh to uncover the clues and everything, everything he runs into is sort of a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy type of thing for him. Like he, everything that uh, every time he runs into a, a dead end of some sort that would tell him, hey, there's not anything going on at this hospital, something else pops up. Either he creates it in his own mind or uh, or, you know, or something that he, he has to he invents these things as, you know, like there's a point where he invents entire people basically in this in this fantasy um who is it that he meets and is it uh patricia clarkson he uh he runs into uh yes. like wandering around on shutter island and patricia clarkson yeah, yeah. i used to work there and i know of a lot of things that used to have they're trying to hide the truth from you and everything of course the entire visit didn't ever happen uh and it's it's a. Uh, it's basically, I mean, it's talking, it's, it's how he copes with his, the loss of his wife and kids. It's that, that, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there is a darker image, uh, in, in a movie in a long time, uh, than Michelle Williams in that movie, like taking her kids out to the water and everything. And then he comes home and like, everything's like, you know, normal day, blah, blah, blah. I'm back home from work. And then he comes out and just like, she's just sitting there at the edge of the pond or whatever. And, and, uh, and the, and yeah, these kids are, are dead, man. It's like, it's so, I mean, of course somebody's going to go through 
uh, you know, a, a traumatic, just a, I don't know what you want to call it, but, uh, but they're going to, they're going to, they're going to want to try to escape to some, somewhere else when they see something that, that horrible. I mean, not everybody in the world, but some people would, would, um, but, uh, yeah, Shutter Island, he's convinced that there's something crazy going on at the, the that they're hiding and he doesn't realize that it's all a fantasy that, uh, you know, he's covering up for uh, a bad memory, a very, very bad memory. And the yeah. ending of this movie is, is, you know, is one of the, it's so devastating. Uh, the end end. Yes. Oh yeah. That'll punch he, you in the dick. He has, yep. he has finally accepted. He's accepted it. And then he pretends not to so that he'll, Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh my God. And is of course it's Dennis Lehane. Who's like the guy who zaps the soul out of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does. A, uh, time where I went on a, a site visit in former life, uh, to, uh, to Ward's Island. There's a, psychiatric hospital there off the coast of Manhattan uh, mm-hmm. called the Manhattan Psychiatric uh, Center. And it's got three buildings there. One is the research wing, one is the long-term holding, and then one is the criminally insane. Mm-hmm. So I was working right next to the Arkham Asylum of New York, and it's on an island. There's nothing on this island. There may be now. It was twenty or 10 years ago, I guess. Um, and uh, there was nothing on this island except for these three buildings. And it took forever to get there, and it gave me very strong Shutter Island vibes. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, Jesus. I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life. It's one of the most underrated DiCaprio performances, but uh, but one of the things about it, that about that ending that really gets you is not just the fact that you know, he's, so he's, he's finally accepted it. Apparently he's, he's almost been there a couple of times where he's like, he's, he's begun to accept that his kids are dead and, uh, and that, and, but then he just keeps going back into this fantasy. This time he's out of it. He's out of it completely. They've done, they've done the job and everything, but then he goes and starts talking to Mark Ruffalo and he starts telling him like, we're going to do this. We're going to escape. We're going to blah, blah, blah. And you're like, Oh shit. He, I guess he, I guess he just went right back into it. But when the, the people in the white lab coat show up, you can just see the expression on DiCaprio's face that shows that he, he knows this is it. This is over. And this is what he's been doing the whole time. Like what he's been doing, uh, what he's doing now to basically he's, he's, he's given up at this point. But he's, he's, he's essentially volunteering to have that, part of his memory excised, right? Like he's saying, I would rather go ahead and get this lobotomy than mm-hmm. live with the pain that I've just accepted. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. yeah that'll mm-hmm. kick it right in the nads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i tell you what, you mentioned Ruffalo. Ruffalo's excellent in this fucking movie. Yeah. Uh, is a, is he's so subservient. Like he always calls DiCaprio boss, right? He's like, where you, mm-hmm. where you want to go boss? And, uh, and then when, when you feel, when you get the reveal, you're like, oh my God, like Mm -hmm. this guy has to have so much compassion and so much like, and, and acting ability essentially. Right. And he's, he's got to play along with all of these delusions. Uh, it's a great, that's a great movie. 
I love yeah. that movie. I don't know how, I mean, you know, obviously that's not a, not close to what 12 Monkeys is doing. 12 Monkeys is, is uh, the guy actually has the truth on his side, but he, it's hard to uh, explain what it is. In this case, he doesn't have the truth on his side. Uh, but he's, he's adamant. And of course, because he's DiCaprio and that's the, the trick of movies, right? Because it's DiCaprio, you assume that he is right yeah. as well. You're going to believe him. Uh, and of course you don't, you also don't, although I guessed it in the first five minutes, unfortunately, <laughs> you're not supposed to know that he's a patient on the Island, but, um, but that's one of those, that's, uh, it, I mean, I guess it's the polar opposite of 12 monkeys in some ways. So. Hmm. I tell you what, uh, what a good movie for dealing with psychiatric illnesses is the perks of being a wallflower. Oh. Uh, I I don't know if this uh, this movie is underrated or overrated or properly rated. It seemed like it was briefly exaggerated and then it was underrated. Like it, it seemed like people made fun of it a little bit. Maybe it was Logan hmm. Lerman or whatever it was. Uh, but man, this movie hits it spot on. Uh, it, it, it takes place mostly in high school. Uh, Logan Lerman playing the, the, the main character, Charlie. Uh, but it happens after, right after he gets out of a psychiatric hospital, uh, for severe depression. And he's got to not only reintegrate, think about your freshman year in high school, like, you know, you're going from eighth grade, you got a summer break and you're going into to high school. Sometimes it's a different one. Sometimes it's the same. Imagine coming out of a psychiatric hospital and then thrust into high school <laughs> in your freshman year, not knowing anybody in a new place. And, and that's where you find this guy uh, set. And um, he befriends maybe the most adorable performance from Emma Watson, uh, great performance from Ezra Miller uh, as as his two best friends. Ezra Miller is is super gay. Uh, he is and what's interesting. So he's super gay with one of his partners is the the high school quarterback played by Young Neil from uh, Scott Pilgrim, Johnny Simmons, and uh, his sister, I believe. Or no, the girl that uh, Logan Lerman ends up dating is Mae Whitman, who was also in Scott Pilgrim versus the World as the uh, as one of the evil exes. I found that interesting. Nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> what happens is, you know, he, he goes through these uh, panic attacks, too, where he gets super violent and he ends up going back to the psychiatric hospital. And it comes out of seemingly nowhere. And then when you find out the whole backstory, have both of you guys seen this movie? Nope. I have. have. When you get the whole backstory, which involves um, the death of his beloved aunt played by Melanie Linsky, uh, it, it'll, it'll get you, man. It'll get you in different ways uh, that you even think of. And, and then when you finally get the, the final shot of, uh, of uh, Sam, I think is her name, uh, Emma Watson and Logan Lerman in the back of the truck driving through with uh, David Bowie's heroes playing. It is exuberant, but you know, shit ain't totally right. Uh, and so it's just a fascinating movie. Uh, the treatment that he gets is inadequate for his condition because I don't think they know what his condition is. Uh, so that's the interesting part from a, 
a, a practitioner point of view is that uh, you can tell even the medication, even the therapy that he's getting ain't going to break through until they figure out what's really going on with this guy. And uh, he plays it perfectly. Ezra Miller is great. And uh, Emma Watson is fantastic. I mean, honestly, besides the Harry Potter stuff, which she's excellent in, this is my favorite performance that she's done. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't really know anything that, that would come close besides the circle. I mean, yeah, and and she was also in the Bling Ring, which I mean, this this is her. I think this is her best post Harry Potter. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Least movie, if not performance. Um, um. So yeah, uh, yeah. Logan Lerman gets to have a really awesome scene later on when he's protecting Ezra Miller. Yeah, uh, that's a really really good. Uh, that's a really good scene because it comes out of nowhere. You're not ex- Logan Lerman seems like any other kind of guy that's going to get bullied uh yep. in this movie uh and and not only is it a satisfying defense of ezra miller but it, the line he he says is uh, <laughs> that's great as well um, yeah so. yep yeah it's um, it's good stuff man good good uh performance uh paul rudd's in this mm-hmm. uh, D- uh dermot mcdermott dermot <laughs> Joan, Joan Cusack is in this. Uh, there's there's a lot of really really good uh, performance. This is I, I think almost underrated at this point. Uh, so you should totally watch it. I love it. I love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was a little fun exercise to work around Twelve Monkeys and everything. Got to talk about some other movies uh, here and there. I mean, some that we've talked about before, but uh, you know, I, I guess the. Uh, unfortunately like you know when we do stuff like that i don't know it's not unfortunate but like whenever you talk about time travel and you talk about waste you know apocalyptic wastelands you kind of go over some of the same territory and everything but uh all in all i think there was some different ones in there that we picked for these topics and everything that we don't get a chance to talk to talk about very often 25 um, years ago today yeah I, I saw that at nippers corner jeremy did you see this in the theater 12 months absolutely did you have it? Were you working at movie theaters at that point? No, I well, I, I might have been working. Well, what was the year? Ninety six. Uh, I was working at movie theater, but I'm pretty sure I saw this on uh, a vacation here in Nashville. Um, <laughs> so we may <clears throat> all have seen it in Nashville. <laughs> not, I didn't see it. I think I saw it at the Harding Mall. Um, oh wow! Which doesn't exist anymore. Um, you remember what time of year it came out, Chris? Was it winter time? It was January fifth. Yeah. It was yeah. So, um, late December, I guess, in New York and Los Angeles, and then January everywhere else. So, yeah, I feel like I remember snow in the Harding Mall. I'm not sure why I would have been in Nashville in January, except for a long Christmas break, maybe. But uh, yeah, there's also a possibility that it had a wide quote unquote release January fifth, and that was in a lot of other big cities and then nashville got it you know january 26th or something mm-hmm. like that there used to be movies back in the 90s where you're like why the fuck haven't we seen gotten this movie? <laughs> <laughs> like everybody knows about the movie it's not like it's not like there you need to build up any word of mouth at this point every fucking asshole is talking about this movie so let's, let's go ahead and get it out already um all right so uh, we want to do some recommends and warns yes 
totes amaze balls. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. I'll uh, I'll go ahead and start on this one. I'm going to recommend an Argentinian film. Uh, one one best foreign language film in 2009. Uh, the Secret in Their Eyes. Um, oh, I've heard of this. This movie was remade. Uh, six years later with Chiwetel Ejiofor and Nicole Kidman and Julia Roberts. I have not seen that one. Uh, I've heard is it, it named the same. It's the same title. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is sort of a, a back and forth flashback type of movie. It starts in 1974. Uh, and then the, I think it's 1999 or something like that where the main character is writing a book about his experiences with this, uh, this rape and murder that happened back in the day that uh, he was sort of investigating as a, as a, I think he's, he was a part of a lawyer team or something. I don't know what he was and uh, uh, whatever, but the, the, uh, the husband of this, of this woman who was raped and murdered uh, obviously wants to know what the truth is. And, and uh, this guy, along with his buddy, uh, try to try to try to figure out who would be the who would be the uh, uh, suspect that the cops aren't looking at or and everything and see if they could possibly come up with a possible uh, answer for this and uh, they they start scanning photographs of this woman's past and everything and they and they start sort of playing some armchair psychologist type of thing and they're like this guy's kind of looking at her creepily in the photo. And this is like it back in college. And then they start asking around about him. And sure enough, this guy did have, uh, did have feelings for this woman back in the day. And they're trying to figure out if there's any way possible. He has somehow, he somehow found her again after a few years and he committed this crime. Um, but this movie's going back and forth between this, this, this guy who's writing his book and, uh, and, uh, and a a woman who was his boss. And there was this, there's this sort of uh, there's this natural chemistry that was between them, but he was always too afraid to ask her out because she said she had a boyfriend and everything, but it's clear when they're talking that she wants him to ask, ask her out like every single time they talk, it seems like, but he never pulls the trigger and everything. So part of the story is not only the fact that he's looking for this killer, but it's also this love story that may or may not happen and everything. Uh, uh, so the, uh, they do find this guy and they think that maybe he's the one who did it and, and everything. But, uh, but what happens is he, this guy that they think did it uh, is, is pull is like, basically a lot of strings are pulled for him to get out of prison and work for this other political figure uh, in uh, Argentina. And it's a guy who hates this dude who's been, uh, doing the investigation. He hates him because of something that he did to him uh, a couple of years prior or whatever. And so, so that guy ends up basically going scot-free. And meanwhile, there's this husband who has, who has been sitting there going, I think, I mean, I, I want this guy to be punished somehow, some way. And this dude, this dude, uh, that they think did it, disappears but they don't know who what happened to him so a lot of the story is about whether or not this husband may have killed him or if this dude ended up just disappearing coincidentally or whatever it's got a tremendous ending to it uh great performances good mystery 
um, uh, well acted. Um, it is an absolute slam dunk recommend movie. Uh, Secret in Their Eyes is awesome. Wow. What was, was the impetus of you uh, watching the original uh, versus the, the remake or just watching it at all? Well, the, there's still that movie club thing that's going on right now. I, we don't think we even call it movie club. I call it that so that it's <laughs> that it's easier to discuss. But there's me and, and three other three other guys. We uh, rotate uh, picking two movies to watch on a given weekend. And this guy picked two Argentinian films. Oh, both, okay. Both of them were very, very highly rated, actually. And we watched that, and we watched another one. If we get around to another recommend, I'll recommend the one that uh, we watched after that. But, uh, but The Secret in Their Eyes is really good, and I can't do it justice. It's that kind of a complex type of story. You know, murder mystery uh, goes back and forth between two eras. Uh, and everything, but uh, it is absolutely, you will not be disappointed in watching this movie. It's it's absolutely fantastic. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. What do oh, you got, that Jeremy? That's high praise. Uh, well, are we going to do recommends and ones or just one round? No, let's do, uh, let's do both because I, I feel strongly right. about both. Then I want to recommend uh, two documentaries that I saw recently. Uh, one is called Emmanuel about the uh, – Shooting in Charleston at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in 2015. Mm. Dylan Roof is the shooter. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and the uh, other documentary is A Kingdom of Silence, which is about Jamal Khashoggi, yeah. yep. um, the journalist who was killed. Um, <clears throat> I, I just paused because I'm mildly afraid to say on a podcast who killed him. How fucking crazy is this world? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, say this. I've heard people. Who does the documentary what? say kills him? Uh, the documentary pretty clearly says that it was the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia that yeah. ordered Saudi. the killing. Um, yeah, um, and and I think that's what the world has generally assumed. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting watching the documentary is is how how much the Trump administration just didn't care, like photo ops with the dude and whatnot afterwards. Uh, I've heard people dismiss Jamal Khashoggi uh, as as a journalist because they'll say he wrote some opinion pieces for the Washington Post. But this documentary lays out that he was a journalist his entire life uh, in the Middle East. Uh, he was a <clears throat> foreign reporter who went to countries all around the Middle East. Um, he interviewed Osama bin Laden a few times mm. back in the mm. 90s, um, was both professionally friendly and friendly, friendly with members of the Royal family. Um, just not the current crown prince as much. Uh, and, and this, the crown prince started to sort of cement his own position of power. That's when Khashoggi left and came to America and started writing about some of the dangers of that, that sort of government, the situations there. Uh, and it ultimately got him killed. Um, but it was eye opening for me to learn more about the man and, and hear interviews from people who knew him, his friends, uh, because until watching this documentary, he was a face and a name that I saw on the news, but I didn't feel like I knew the person at all. Mm-hmm. The documentary yeah. does a really good job of helping you get to know the person. Um, and then the other documentary, Emmanuel, um, surprised me in terms of both its, uh, path and it's not really about, um, the shooter at all. Um, 
I mean, there are there are, obviously he's mentioned and whatnot, but what this is about is is it lays out how important this church was to the community and the history. Uh, not only the, the the community leaders that were part of this church, but the, the, the race relations and the history of this community. And this church was a pillar uh, for the black community uh, and for harmony. Uh, the fact that this was the church that he chose, you know, is <clears throat> it's, it's, it's interesting, I guess it's worth exploring, but what the documentary then shifts to is how quickly all of the survivors from that Bible study and the family members of the victims and other members of the church within 48 hours was standing in court, looking at Dylan roof and collectively forgiving him. Mm. Um, and that is what the documentary focuses on. It gets, it, it gets a little more religious than I would probably prefer personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but not so much that I think would offend a non-religious person. And certainly the church and its meaning was at the center of this whole event. So you can't not mention the religion um, and the ties there. Um, but the, the message of forgiveness, it's weird as I'm watching the documentary, I thought, well, that's, you don't feel that you're angry. You're just saying that because you know, it's the right thing to do. And as I, as I finish watching it, I'm like, Oh wow, that's even more powerful <laughs> that, yeah. that you would within 48 hours, you have to still be angry. And to be able to shove that down and say, I'll get over that. Um, the, the, the thing that I'm going to do forever is forgive you. Um, it's fascinating. I thought it was I mean, very few documentaries I've seen about crimes or, or anything like this have focused on a, a forgiving victim or collection of survivors. Uh, and uh, it's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so those two documentaries really enjoyed. That's my recommend for the week. Where'd you find these? Uh, of flipping channels, uh, the uh, the Emmanuel is on Hulu, even though I found it on I think Stars, and I think the Jamal Khashoggi one, Kingdom of Silence, is an HBO film. Kingdom of Silence is what it's called. Yeah, Kingdom of Silence, and it is well, it doesn't say Showtime. Okay. Showtime original. All right. Yeah, I was very very interested in the. Jamal Khashoggi uh, case because that is international diplomacy and a brazen attack on free speech and press. And the guy was universally beloved by his colleagues from what I understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was spun so despicably by certain factions as, yeah, he had written some opinion pieces that were critical of a certain faction of everything. And otherwise, yeah, he was an intrepid reporter that had a pretty yeah. impeccable record from what I known, understand. Known for being able to balance all these factions and being trusted as a, an integrity guy by all these different factions that you know ultimately – ended up turning on him. It's a fascinating story. It's really tragic, uh, but he was a really neat guy. And the fact that it happened at the fucking embassy, the embassy, this is, this is sanctuary. This is supposed to be the whole thing was one of the most brazen, despicable things I've seen in my lifetime. I think, uh, because everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. This is something that you don't do. You don't target journalists. 
You don't target uh, healthcare workers. You don't target uh, relief workers. And this was just a complete fuck you to all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to watch that for sure. <clears throat> Do you want a hard warn or a hard recommend? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going right. to give you, give me a hard warn because I don't, we don't have one of those yet. I'm going to give you a hard warn. Uh, I love me. We were talking about uh, post-apocalyptic movies earlier. I love that shit. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love the end of the world. Um, love watching it. You know who else I love? George Clooney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, oh, no. I you know, know what else I love is some space drama. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. So. Yep. I get rock hard for this movie, The Midnight Sky, that came I out on Miley songs. Dude, every time I think about this movie, that song pops into my head. I actually Talk love that enough. song, too. It took me a while to come around to it, but I fucking love that song now. <laughs> I was born to run. I'm not controlled by anyone. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, so Midnight Sky is turgid. I was, uh, was ready. I was uh, uh, ready to go. And uh starts off all right with a bunch of people evacuating the planet uh, from a, a, a tundra type of thing. And then you oh. see Clooney with a uh, very David Letterman beard. Uh, he mm-hmm. looks from the side and the back. He looks exactly like Letterman looks right now. Awesome. He's closely cropped hair and then the giant beard. But then when you go up close, you're like, oh, that guy's handsome. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like George Clooney. So they evacuate the planet, and early on, you find out that uh, Clooney's character has terminal cancer, and he's evacuating the planet, but he's going to stay behind to monitor things, to let people know what's going on on Earth. Okay. Interesting premise, right? Uh, they, They found this habitable environment on one of Jupiter's, quote, hidden moons. Does Jupiter have any hidden moons, you ask? Who cares? That's what the movie says to you. And the movie says that a lot to you. So they go to this. Okay. So he's there. And then you start this bifurcated path of him on the the planet eating the the only person on the planet. What happened to the planet? I don't know, says the movie. Fuck you for even asking, says the movie. (laughs) Then you go to the spaceship. There's a spaceship that went all the way to this Jupiter moon that was hidden and now it's on the way back. It's got it's got a crew of like four people, five people, including Kyle Chandler, including uh, David. Chris, can you help me out on the pronunciation? Uh, it's David um, Oyelowo. Oh. Oyelowo. Yeah, it's it's O yellow and O. Okay, Oyelowo. Uh, David Oyelowo. God damn. I'm sorry. It's up. I agree. Uh, so you, you have Felicity Jones, Rogue One herself, uh, Damian Bashir, Kyle Chandler, and uh, and uh, the other girl, Tiffany Boone. And so uh, they're on their way back from this Jupiter mission. Only takes two years to get to Jupiter, by the way. I don't know how that happens. Sweet. Uh, but they're on their way back. Guess what? Felicity Jones is knocked up. What happens in space, you ask? They fuck in space. That's what mm-hmm. happens. So she's knocked up uh, by David Oyuelo. Uh, and I'll, I'll just call him uh, Adelowo. A, a God damn it. The, the whole thing. Anyway, uh, by the <laughs> commander. And so they're traveling back. Clooney's job 
at his Arctic base is to warn the one remaining spaceship, by the way. What happened to the other spaceships? We don't know, says the movie. Mm, To warn mm. that spaceship to not come back to Earth because Earth is hot garbage. We don't know why Earth is hot garbage, but it's hot garbage. And so Clooney runs into, all of a sudden, a girl. There's a girl at a space base, or not a space base, his Arctic base. And she's been left behind, and he's freaking out. And they have to go get a stronger satellite so they can warn the ether, which is piloted by Felicity Jones and her boo. And then they have to go out and spacewalk because there's some shit wrong. And then it turns into fucking gravity. I swear to fucking Christ. It turns into fucking gravity with space debris coming at them. And, and he was shit mad, going down he died, and stuff like that. And he was, he was mad, he, mad he, died. he died. He wanted to come back for Anatolia's vodka. Uh, mm-hmm. But I swear to God. Oh, oh, and the worst thing about this movie, this movie's fucking awful. If you haven't found out already, the worst thing about this movie is that they flash back to Clooney's past and they show him uh, uh, getting together with this lady, lady friend. But it's not Clooney. It's not D.H. Clooney. It's Gregory Peck's uh, grandson, Ethan Peck. All right. Who looks nothing like George Clooney. But you know what they did? They decided to dub in Clooney's voice when he's talking. So there's this mix of Ethan Peck and uh, and George Clooney. So he sounds like George Clooney. And I swear to fucking Christ, I, 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 I went into this movie wanting to love it. And it's just, it's, it's so many different, I, 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 I just want to, to finish. I want to rattle off, off the top of my head, didn't look anything up, off the top of my head, every movie that it's derivative of, okay? So, like, all of a sudden, I was just like, hold on one second. This is exactly like Aliens, Passengers, The Martian, Call of the Wild, 2012, Bird Box, Arctic, Parado- The Cloverfield Paradox, The Road, The Gray, Gravity, Armageddon, Sphere, <laughs> The Core, Breaking Bad, Logan, World War Z, and Interstellar. All together. Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? It fucking sucks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah, that oh, doesn't sound like a strong. really good movie. Mm. Look, I don't know, man. And, and Clooney, the actor, is fine in this. Clooney, the actor, is has all of his uh, charm and charisma. Uh, the little girl that plays uh, the the one that's left behind is perfectly fine. Uh, the performances overall are not bad. It's just the structure of the story. It's so way too much. We were having this discussion uh, privately about uh, uh, Clooney just not being a good director. And I think (laughs) Clooney, the director, definitely got in the way of Clooney, the uh, actor in this, uh, because he bit off way more than he could chew. Uh, You know, we went back in like Leatherheads and uh, uh, Monuments Men, and those were all misfires. Before that, Good Night and Good Luck was was decent. Uh, the Chuck Barris story, uh, the uh, men who stare at Chuck Barris. What is it? Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I enjoy quite a bit. Uh, but, man, I just wish he would stick to acting and performing. And I, there may be a good movie in here, but... It it ain't what what you get. It it's it's bad. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, yeah, 
uh, when you see uh, when you see something with the Clooney in it, and it's got the, you know, I mean, it look you, sh- you should be at least borderline. It should be like a average movie, right? It should be. Like, I agree. You don't really see horrible George Clooney movies. You don't, and and that's why, like all of those elements. I'm not kidding around when I was like, because yes, I saw the the general review scores, but I didn't get into it. Didn't figure out what what was going on plot wise. Didn't read any reviews, but I saw it was not getting good reviews and i was like come on how bad could it be and it's worse yeah uh so yeah i'll recommend the other movie from argentina argentina that we saw uh it's called wild tales which is uh oh yeah uh, i've seen that you've seen wild tales no but i've seen uh, you've seen you've been in wild tales <laughs> That's a they were bucking all you. around yeah yeah exactly um uh, this is a um, it's an anthology film. Uh, it's got six, I think, six different stories in it. Uh, nearly all of them are good. There's just there's one in there that I didn't really like, but the very beginning one gets you right into this movie. It's so good. This woman sits down on an airplane, and she starts, and uh, and a guy across the the aisle starts talking to her. And then she mentions that, well, she's, uh, she used to date this guy and he was a, he was a pianist and things didn't work out well for him. And, uh, and so, uh, she left him and everything because he, he became, uh, like a terrible person. I don't know what it is, but anyway, uh, mentions, mentions the, mentions the, his name and the guy across the aisleway is like, oh, oh. I, did you say this guy? Oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. I I remember him uh, playing a, a piece for us, and then he turn, he f- turns out that this guy's a critic, and he did not like the piece that this guy played, and uh, and uh, it was you know, and he goes on about oh man, he, he was terrible. I'm sorry. I don't I don't mean to you know you know if you still have you know feelings for your boyfriend or whatever. I, he was just awful or whatever. And then the person in front of the the guy, uh, there's a woman who's like, wait a minute. Did you say this guy's name? Like I was his music teacher. And so <laughs> like it keeps going on like that and everything. And I won't spoil what happens in this one story, but uh, it gets well, you. I just immediate- read the synopsis on Wikipedia and you're good for not spoiling. Because holy <laughs> yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, the first story is great. Uh, and then there's several other stories. There's, uh, there, the one that I, I would, I didn't really like that much was the one where there's one where the waitress who, uh, there's a, a guy who, who comes in, who was, uh, who's a big time gangster. And he, uh, I think he killed her family or killed a friend. I can't remember what it was, but, uh, the, when she mentions this to one of her coworkers or coworkers is like, well, let's just poison his ass and let's just, you know, and so there's this whole thing at the restaurant. Uh, then there's one, um, there's one where, uh, this guy who's actually the same guy who was in uh, the secret, uh, in their eyes. Uh, he, um, he has a, um, he gets a, he gets his car towed, in a place where he says that there was nothing marked that says I couldn't park here and all that. And he starts railing against the system, but he rails against the system so much that he ends up like 
basically like uh losing losing his whole life out of it his wife is like just pay the money and just go but he's like no i have principles and i'm not gonna let this go and blah 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 and so there's a that story is fantastic um the the they save the best one i think for last though and it's this wedding where uh right after right after they've gotten married and of course as jeremy alluded to they probably went off into the room and saw each other naked and then came back. <laughs> I love that practice. We need to adopt that in the future. Yes. Um, <laughs> see what you got. But it's a wedding reception and the the uh the bride is has sort of become aware that her new husband had to have cheated on her with this woman who was at the reception. And from there, this wedding reception spirals out of control. Uh, she, she confronts him about it. He finally admits, yes, I did it. Then she goes up on the roof and she's, and she's uh, uh, trying to, you know, calm down and everything. Even more crazy shit happens from there, which I will not spoil. Uh, but uh, wild tales, is another fantastic movie. I don't think I've, I've ever actually thought of like Argentina as far as their films are concerned, but two that I've seen are van by fantastic. Oh, there's another great one too, uh, where there's a guy who, um, who gets pissed off at a, he's driving along a road. He gets pissed off at this guy for going too slow on the road. He drives past him, flips him off all this other shit. And like, you know, fuck you. And then moves on, but then his car breaks down, and, <laughs> and the guy who he flipped off catches up to him, <laughs> and all sorts of crazy shit ensues from that. Uh, uh, Wild Tales is fun as fuck, man. That is a great, great like that. The time will just you won't even know where the time went on this one. Huh. This one is that good. It's that fun. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Get out and, and watch that movie immediately. Where did you find these, uh, Chris? Uh, uh, secret in their eyes. And I believe both secret in their eyes and wild tales were rentals off of Amazon. Yeah. It looks like I'm going to have to rent that wild tales movie though. That's crazy. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Look, both of those movies are great. Wild Tales is the one that's like the most fun out of that group. Hmm. So if you're just like looking for something like kind of breezy and just like, oh my God, jaw dropping, all these different things. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's so fun. So, it's so. A episode, an entire episode of Frasier where he pulls into a parking garage and decides not to park and tries to leave. And Luis Guzman is the parking attendant who wants to make him pay. It's like that scene in Fargo. Like mm-hmm. you, you pulled in, even though you didn't park, you have to pay. You still, you, you still owe the the four dollars or whatever. And Frazier is very much like your guy in that snippet. I'm a man of principle. I'm not paying it. I didn't mm-hmm. park here. And finally, the whole episode. Finally, Niles talks him into twenty, thirty cars backed up behind him. Niles talks him into paying it, and he goes to pay it. And Luis Guzman is like, "It's been more than thirty minutes. You now owe eight dollars." <laughs> 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 I am and going to somebody reckon- five cars behind him honks the horn so violently that he sprains his knee. <laughs> yeah, yes. that was me in real life. Um, uh, I'm going to record warn um, the movie Judy, starring Renee Zellweger as mm. Judy Garland. <clears throat> oh yeah, 
Um, I'll just say the good. She is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think that's all the movie has going for it. Is like the movie might as well have been called Renee Zellweger's Judy Garland. Mm. Um, it's very clear they're going for an Oscar, and she nails it. I don't know if she's doing a good Judy Garland. I don't have a lot of post, like late life Judy Garland experience uh, in mm. terms of her singing or how she spoke. Uh, but the performance is really engaging. The, the entire point of this movie is just that everyone has used her her entire life and addicted her to these uppers and downers. And she, so she's about to go on stage for this revival concert and they find her in her underwear with mascara running and drunk and all hopped up on all the, the pills. And they stumble her together in an outfit and get her out there on stage and she fucking nails it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though she is zonked um that's a great scene it's a great performance but god this movie is depressing as fuck mm-hmm. it's it's just watching people give her pills and then flashing back to when she is a child on and they're building sound stages next door to for wizard of oz and some studio guy gives her pills and she's at the diner and she wants to have a hamburger and the lady who's her handler is really mean and won't let her eat anything because they have to keep her thin and makes her have these pills because it'll take away the hunger. Um, but then it'll keep me up at night. We have more pills for that then. Um, and it apparently, I, I'm not trying to make light. Apparently this was what happened to Judy Garland mm-hmm. in, in that she was recognized very early on as a massive talent that people could make a lot of money on. Uh, And they set about manipulating her as often as possible. Um, And I think the movie's point is that, that she was this great talent that we just, as a society, we just let dwindle away and be used. Um, There is a really touching scene where she meets a, a gay couple outside her concert who come every single night and she's got nothing better to do. So she goes home with them and they cook her eggs and they play piano and they bond and she gets to be like a normal person for the night. Um, and that's a nice scene too. But overall, this movie is just depressing. And it literally, remember when I joked about Miles Teller drinking so much alcohol in that one movie that was like hitting you over the head with the fact that he's take like <clears throat> this movie doesn't need, it doesn't need more than 20% of the pills she takes, but she mm-hmm. takes 80% more after that. It's to every scene she's in, she's taking pills, taking, and I'm like, again, maybe that's real life, but at some point as a viewer of a movie, I get it. I get it already. And I almost wish because they did go back and show the early childhood bits in flashbacks. I almost wish they'd have done a biography of her whole life. So we could have seen some more of the prime of her career. We could have seen some happy moments here and there, but we focus on the very end when everyone's abandoning her and she's divorced and, you know, no one's taking care of her except the pills. And it's just, it's a very, very depressing movie. And if you're a Zellweger fan or a Judy Garland fan, then watch it because you're going to love it. Uh, But if you're neither one of those things, I wouldn't waste your time. Mm -hmm. She, uh, she won the Oscar for this, right? Yeah. Uh, I think so. She I think so. She's certainly good enough to have deserved it. At least got nominated. Um, let me look this up real quick. Do you know what age she was when she died, Jeremy? Because she the, was the, young. The real she? person? Yeah. 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 She was in her 50s. Oh, well, I mean, 
youngish, I guess. I thought she was even younger than that. Let's see. Um, yeah, she was. She, she was. She was forty-five. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, Renee Zellweger won. Um, it also got nominated for like makeup and hairstyling and stuff like that. So and that stuff's all. That's what I hear is that it's basically a performance piece for her, right? It is, and she's she's great. I just it was so fucking depressing. I just you know most biopics give me some depressing, but also some highlights, some good times, some happy stuff. Mm -hmm. This is like Walk the Line. If the whole movie was just the death of his brother. Mm -hmm. the wrong kid died (laughs) (laughs) i guess they get filmmakers will get in their head is like this is an american tragedy so let's make it all bad all the time i mean even romeo and juliet had good moments in it you know what i mean like there's gotta be there's gotta be something that that leads you to go oh that was an american tragedy there were so many good things about her life and everything uh, and and maybe it does in its subtle way explain that there are. Good I think things. the movie is just that performance I told you about where she snaps it together mm-hmm. because she's such a pro and she's done it so many times. I think that is the movie saying, you know, she this was a great American tragedy. Look how look how timeless she was as a performer. Um, but it, you know, even though that's a great scene, it didn't it didn't hit me emotionally that way at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially since she's on pills during that scene, so it's. Yeah. It's not like, you know, we're seeing a, a sort of, uh, I don't know. Uh, they, I, I, I've heard stories like this before of performers. And I'm like, how many, how many shows are, I mean, maybe not even legendary, but uh, ha- there's a lot of legendary shows out there where people who probably shouldn't even be like out of bed and yeah. they're, and they're somehow hammering three hours of a concert and probably still taking even more stuff during the during the concert itself. Yep. Um, uh, how many of those stories are out there? I mean, God, there's got to be hundreds and maybe thousands. Well, movie-wise, it reminds me at the end of uh, Vox Lux, where, yeah. uh, oh. I mean, Natalie Portman is catatonic, essentially. And it's exactly what, what you've said mm-hmm. here is that, you know, she's stumbling backstage and she can barely get her shit on, but all of a sudden she gets out there and fucking like kills it. And yeah. you're like, Oh yeah. All right. Well, I guess you could do yeah. it. Elvis was, was famous for doing this. Speaking of Elvis, uh, from your last one. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's, it's possible. That wasn't your last one. That was a, a long time ago. Okay. Are you ready for a recommend? I'm going to tip my hand to one of, if not my favorite movie of the year. Mm. And it's called The Sound of Metal. Oh. And didn't have a whole lot of expectations going into this. Uh, it's it's Riz Ahmed and uh, Olivia Cook are playing the, the main two characters. Uh, mm-hmm. They are in a band together, kind of a two-piece, white stripes-ish uh, a, a band, except hardcore... Scream core, I guess you would call it. Uh, it's it's metal, but it's not. She's the lead. Yeah, she's, she's the, the lead, lead singer. It's not Slayer or anything like that that you would think. Of. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but he's the drummer. She's the singer. Uh, Riz Ahmed get get got ripped. Learned drums over six months. Learned actual how to play drums. Um, and man, this movie starts off with with a nice little thing. They they play a show. 
And then they've got this wonderful Airstream tour bus. It's not opulent or anything like that. It's got a bedroom in the back. It's got a little mobile stereo, uh, uh, studio in the middle of it. He drives. She naps right next to him and just kind of hangs out. And the entire uh, journey from the first show to the next show is adorable. They are constantly talking. They are asking about life questions. They're playing little bits of trivia and stuff like that. You can tell they have an idyllic relationship. You can tell also that he's very taken very, very good care of himself. He's not out there living the rock and roll lifestyle. They're getting up early and getting like Iron Man smoothies and stuff like that and doing exercises and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And you're like, well, this this is a, a nice little story. Turns out uh, at the second show that we see when they're they're prepping and they're not a big band. They're just, you know, they booked a tour and they've got a few albums out. The uh, the band's name is Black Gammon, which I think is is kind of cool. <laughs> they've got some press there, but you, you can tell they're up and coming. They're not established or anything like that. And at the second show, uh, he has this moment where his hearing goes out. And mm-hmm. and the the beautiful thing about this movie is the sound design. The sound design also takes the hearing out. Like you hear the very, very muffled voices in the background. And you can tell what he doesn't do immediately is do the, oh, my God, what's going on? It's all very, very subtle. He's like, what's going on here? You know, I don't know what's happening. Then eventually, like, he'll touch his ear and he'll be like, oh, what's going on? Uh, and then it goes through this series of him having to find some, they're in the middle of Missouri in the middle of a fucking tour. So they're not at home. He's got to find, um, a person that can treat him and to, to figure out what's going on. He has no clue what's going on. Uh, ends up with uh, an audiologist that tells him basically, you know, your, your hearing's not going to come back unless you get these cochlear implants. And, uh, from there it goes on. So, You've got, you know, uh, the the sound of metal makes you think that it's a music movie, like a, like Whiplash or something like that. Uh, you know, you've got the deafness and stuff like that. So you're like, oh, okay, I've got this kind of figured out. You've got the relationship with uh, Olivia Cook. I've got to get this kind of figured out. Turns out he's uh, a recovering addict. He was very, very deeply into drugs. And so the movie expertly balances all of those things. The recovery and the sobriety, the uh, the deafness that comes on, the relationship with his girlfriend, and the the music is actually probably the 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 least amount of time that they spend on this. He ends up going to a, a sober living community for deaf people, which does exist, uh, led by this guy named Joe, who's played by Paul Rocky. Uh, who I'd never seen before. Chris, have you seen him in anything before? No, he looked vaguely familiar, but uh, yeah, I haven't seen him before. He is apparently in real life. The actor is the the son of deaf people. And I think they're called Coda, uh, children of deaf adults. Um, and uh, Riz Ahmed learned sign language ASL for this. Uh, Paul Rocky speaks in sign language, even though he says he reads lips. They all speak in sign language. And the best part of this fucking movie is the scenes in the middle uh, of everybody interacting at the the deaf uh, and hearing impaired uh, community. 
it's not only a sober living community. It's also a school. It's also, there's a bunch of different factions on this commune. And it is absolutely a look into the hard of hearing deaf community that I have never seen before. Uh, again, the sound design is incredible here because it, when it goes into him not hearing anything, you don't hear anything, at least for a period of time. Uh, when it goes into communicating with sign language with ASL, they don't give you subtitles. They let you figure it out through context clues. Now, occasionally they'll go back to just regular conversation where you can hear it. Uh, there's a point later on in the movie that takes a turn sound-wise that I could not predict. And I could not even imagine uh, what this actually sounds like. And it, it's it's beautifully done. The last thing I'll say about this is that there are several conflicts. This guy ain't perfect. This guy ain't like a white horse or anything. Like you're riding in on a white horse. He's kind of an asshole. He's he's a rebellious dude. Like uh, he loves Olivia Cook's character, but he's also a former addict that lies and cheats and steals and stuff like that and grifts. And he ain't perfect. Uh, and the movie's not interested in redeeming him all the way. Uh, but what when they do have conflicts in this movie, they're resolved, and this has been written about quite a bit, they're resolved by kindness. And they're not resolved by, not that there isn't any anger in this movie or, you know, protests or not violence on people, but violence, you know, outwardly. Uh, the interpersonal conflicts are solved by listening to each other, understanding each other, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Matthew Amaric, a wonderful French actor, uh, is in this playing Olivia Cook's father. Jeremy, I would totally recommend this to you, not for mm. any specific reason, but uh, mm. I think it's just a, a spectacular mm. movie. Spectacular. I have been afraid of this movie because I am losing my hearing, and I decided to go ahead and read a synopsis to see what I was getting into. And I'm not sure I'm going to watch it. I think I get what you're saying. Um, but knowing two things about the end of the movie, um, one I think would crush me and one I think would just make me angry. Um, so I may watch it down the road. I understand. You're that. far from the first person to recommend it to me. Um, and we can talk uh, off book about what those things are, but the movie's so fresh, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. No, I understand that. And, and me, uh, personally, not having any appreciable loss of hearing, uh, it, it's, hard, it's hard for me necessarily to put myself in somebody else's shoes that is having that. Yeah. Uh, unless I experience, and, and this is a way for me to experience that. Obviously, it's not totally immersive or anything like that, but it is a good window into what that may feel like, what they may sound like, uh, and and it does a, just an incredible job sound design wise. I totally understand what you're saying, uh, but but I think it's a spectacular movie. I think no, it's I, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I'm not trying to take away from that. <clears throat> Chris, you saw this, right? Yeah, there were. I I really liked it. There are a couple of moments that I don't like, and and it's mainly. W- where the movie is sort of fast forwarding to certain things basically that I think deserve to be uh, explored a little bit more when he first joins that commune 
or whatever it is they call it the what is it called uh it's not a commune but it's uh I mean, it, 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 it like a like a hard of hearing center. It's basically yeah. like the the blind school in Bird Box at the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, when he when he joins them, obviously he's he's uh, reticent to and, and hesitant to uh, to uh, to join them. He he uh, he he wants to get on with his life. He wants to continue drumming. He wants to do all the stuff. Um, and uh, and he he. Uh, he leaves and there's a scene and it's a great scene uh with the him and a kid on the top of the slide and they and they like and they bang the slide you know and as sort of a communication to each other and everything uh very next scene he's in the com- he's in that commune he is a part of it he is like he's suddenly learned everything he's learned sign language all this stuff that's tough has already been smoothed over uh, mm. at this point. Um, and then there's another point where uh, he is thinking about leaving and he goes to that Joe guy. And now that, that scene, there's that scene. And then there's another scene with Joe later. That's phenomenal. And especially the way that they edit it is, is phenomenal. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the one where he goes and, and Joe's like, you're very important here. And I would like you to stay here and everything. We never really see his importance. We do see him, uh, like, uh, showing people how to drum and things like that, which is a nice scene, but like his importance, his in, 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 in being in t- integral to the, to the uh, community, not really feeling that, uh right uh, as the way the movie does it because it doesn't get there to that it doesn't it doesn't give you that really he's just immediately like 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 as fast as it goes it's unbelievable how fast uh he gets into he's he's into the community uh because they cut from i don't like this to i love this to i love this to i need to get out of here and there's no there's no inciting incident do any of those things. And so that's what was my main problem with the movie. Uh, there are outstanding dynamite scenes in this, in this don't get me wrong. I don't dislike the movie. I just felt like there was a little something lacking from it. Uh, uh, when it, when it came down to that. And I feel like some of the challenges, they kind of skate over it a little bit. And uh, I was a little disappointed in that. Yeah, um, I can see that it does get a little montagey, but Man, I I was so along for the ride that uh, I I I think it's almost a perfect movie uh, for me. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it ain't like a happy go lucky. You're gonna skip to my loo after this, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's I think genius. I think it's absolutely fantastic. No, it's very good. I I would recommend it myself. Uh, uh, it's just that there were a couple of moments in there. I was like, you need to be a little bit more uh get us more into this community than you are at this point for me to really like hang on and say yeah these decisions are either yeah they're devastating or they're not like when he decides that he wants to leave it doesn't feel devastating to me like it it oh, does yeah. later, it does later when he goes and talks to joe later but the the moment that he's like when joe asks him if he wants to stay I was, I was like, you know, gosh, man, what is, there's gotta be something in there besides what we've already seen that has told him, 
I love this community, but I, I'm going to make the sacrifice to, to, to leave it because, you know, I'm still, I'm still that guy from before, which doesn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense to me. Um, anyway, yeah, good movie. I don't want to be downer about it or anything. I think you recommend it's perfectly valid, Barrett. It's valid. I want you, you got validation from me. Thank you. And that's what's important. Anyway, that's going to do it for this. We don't, we don't ever uh, end uh, shows on recommends and warn. So it's kind of weird. No, <laughs> we went through a, a bunch. That was fun. That was a good one. What I love is that you publicly asked for questions on Twitter and we didn't get to any of them. So all those people are going to be like, we, we may want to do a question and answer episode. Let's, soon. let's do it. Let's, uh, yeah. let's really dive into that. that uh, get right. Elbow deep into those questions. I am down. There were a lot of good ones that came in even after you sent the, yeah, yeah. Um, the agenda so. Yeah. so we'll do a q a next week just to get our mailbag um uh emptied let's empty our sacks empty our sacks uh the uh, recommends and warns i recommended the secret in their eyes and wild tales both movies from argentina both of them fantastic you can't go wrong with those two movies jeremy recommended documentaries the kingdom of silence and Emmanuel. Uh, Kingdom of Silence is uh, about Jamal Khashoggi and Emmanuel is about the church that uh, that uh, Dylan Roof uh, mm-hmm. is famous for, unfortunately, infamous for, I guess. Uh, and he wreck warned Judy, the Renee Zellweger, Judy Garland uh, movie. Uh, Barrett warned the Midnight Sky. Boy, did he warn the fuck out of it. Mm-hmm. Don't want Sky. He don't belong to anyone. Listen to the Miley Cyrus song. Don't watch the movie. <laughs> Listen to Miley Cyrus. And uh, he recommended Sound of Metal. I can also attach myself to that recommendation. So um, that's going to do it for this week. Keep going to Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter. We're on uh, Discord. If you want to get on Discord, Go to our Reddit page and find a link on the right side there, or you can uh, go on Facebook and private message me, and I will give you a link there. We're also on SoundCloud. Uh, But that's going to do it for this week. It's uh, Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasends.com. Xfinity is still trying to reclaim the cable box from my old house. And it's like, <laughs> that shit is gone forever. What the hell? It's not coming back. <laughs> and how old is that shit, too? It's uh, ancient, 10 years old. You don't want that. You just want money, right? And it's, I, I'm willing to pay you now. Stop harassing me. <laughs> I watched uh, Wonder Woman 1984 last night. Oh, uh, yeah? That... Could be the worst movie I've seen in many years. Wow. I've really? heard bad things. I, I it didn't like it. I didn't find it objectionable, though. It, was it the, the, the tediousness and the length oh. and stuff like that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pe- Pedro Pascal, uh, he, he, he gets this. Um, uh, it's a monkey's paw type thing. Uh, and he wants to become the stone. He, that's his wish. He wants to become that. 
And so instead of just turning into a fucking stone, which he should have, it's still Pedro Pascal, but people can wish on him. And, and, and it looks like he's, he's like addicted to people wishing on him and everything. And he wants people to wish on him, but it's not really kind it's not really like explicitly shown that that's a weakness or anything to exploit or anything. Uh, and and then there's like a lot of weird things about the rules. Uh, yeah, he where, can take other people's shit in return, but I don't think that was ever explained. He can, but like, there's a point where where uh, Kristen Wiggs like I've already made my wish, and he goes, "Well, who cares? I can give my your wish to anybody I want to." And all and she this. does another fucking wish. She does another fucking wish, and 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 she becomes a goddamn cheetah. And it's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I mean, she says she wants to be an apex predator. They, he, she turns into an actual goddamn cheetah. Mm-hmm. It looks like cats. Mm-hmm. It looks, it looks like a shittier version of cats. I just want to say that my college girlfriend asked me to wish on her, and I definitely misheard. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I mean it's a it's our greatest fantasy is to wish on women as much as we can, right? Wish on me, baby. <laughs> well, I've never done that, but okay. Yeah. That's a new way of expressing that term, but I'll do it. I'll do it for you. That's mm-hmm. fucking teamwork. That's right. Wonder Woman 1984 is goddamn tedious. And then, oh, and it even further makes it unbelievable that Batman didn't know that there was a fucking Wonder Woman around in the 1980s. It's like only picture yeah, he saw no of her. Only I picture heard, he saw of her in World War One. I. I heard she flies. She does. She does. That's fucking absurd. Uh, and then... Does she do that in the comics, though? I don't. I have never read a Wonder Woman comic. I watched the Super Friends, and she used a jet that was invisible. Well, yeah, and in this that. one, she does. The the the. This is the dumbest thing ever. This comes out of fucking nowhere. Chris Pine <laughs> gets in a plane, and by the way, Chris Pine coming back into this. She wishes for him to come back, and and but the only way that he comes back is through some other existing asshole that's like some lost rando. his life <laughs> yeah. and 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 then and then like they get into a, a jet and they fly off and she goes oh geez yeah i forgot about you don't you didn't have radar back in the day they're going to be able to catch us on radar well it's been a long time since i've been able to do this but and she just suddenly like with some magical powers or make the jet <laughs> invisible yeah and just all of a sudden boom done it, it's 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 kind of like the the Batman and Robin thing, where the holy rusted metal Batman and and <laughs> you know and and you know, metal, you it's know, all it's, holy, it's, it's metal, it's rusted, it's holy, <laughs> and that's what that's reminded me of the invincible the invisible jet and fucking Wonder Woman. They're just like, well, like, she had an invisible jet, so why not this make it? Sounds awful. Why not make it where it's through her mind powers? And yeah, sure, that's that's something that we've been known Wonder Woman to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It's uh, yeah, it's not good. Um, 
I didn't think it was horrible, but I thought uh, it was bad. Uh, well, Did you watch it with your kid? It. Yeah, I watched it with the whole family. And uh, even even my wife, who's a sucker for all this stuff, <laughs> said the ending. She was like, man, that was fucking cheesy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because it is, man. Yeah. It's it's like the, the, the bad equivalent of Batman at the end of Dark Knight going, that people – People are good, and you're underestimating Gotham's population. They're good. Mm-hmm. And it's basically that for, like, what seems like 20 minutes. It's exactly how that scene goes. You guys <laughs> nailed it. Yep. If, 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 did someone turn on a Blu-ray in here? Because I can hear the fucking I'm paraphrasing. People are good. Yeah. You underestimated the people of Gotham's citizenry. And voters mm-hmm. and commuters <laughs> and, and bus riders, pedestrians, and and <laughs> deep down inside, people are basically good. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I hear, man. People are good. Fucking bad boys. <laughs> oh man, you know what? I'm so sick of this fucking DC bullshit. At least with with uh, with Marvel, they're taking on the world. They're taking on Sokovia. They're taking on like they they go to Berlin and Siberia and shit like that. Uh, they, I, they my family finally got me into Arrow, even though like I'm starting on season seven, mm-hmm. and they're all about sta- saving Starling City, and the Flash is all about saving Central City, and Batman is all about saving Gotham City, People and, and Gotham. Superman is all about Metropolis, and it's mm-hmm. like fucking. There's a great big fucking world out there, people. There's there's no reason to like Starling City and Arrow is constantly under attack, and and these people from all over the world are like, we need to eradicate Starling City, and people from all over the world, like Ra's al Ghul, are like, oh, we got to eliminate Gotham. Gotham is the epicenter for for all the the the, the, the terribleness in the world. I'm like, fuck you, dude. There's mm-hmm. terribleness in like Bhutan and yeah. fucking like uh, Uruguay. And Biloxi, shit, like, what? Yeah, yeah. Biloxi. Where's there, bat? Where's where's the Biloxi Batman? That's what. You're <laughs> <at>. <laughs> He's all chill. He's all Dude. drinking a beer, like with, some, <laughs> with the tank top and some shorts. Let's make that fucking screenplay. Biloxi <laughs> Batman. Oh my god. He's got the amazing. mask on, but he's got a tank top on. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Some board shorts. He, he's, he when, when he's his normal self, he goes out and like mows the lawn and shit. And <laughs> the casinos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hits up tunica and shit. <sighs> Man. My, my, one of my all time favorite dramatic quote unquote things, I guess it, you could, could call it dramatic is the end of that song on the Muppet show. The, when the camera is just coming back and it shows all the different Muppets in that, yeah. in all those different compartments. This is what we call the Muppet show. And then Gonzo comes in and ruins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gon- it was the, was Muppets from space where the Gonzo is an alien thing came from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Katie Holmes. Well, most of the Dawson's Creek kids are in that movie. Oh, yeah. Cause they're are they the really? Beach. Yeah, they were on the beach waiting to see if the aliens are going to come. Um, and there's cameos by, I think I don't think Michelle Williams is in there, but at least two or three of them are there. Um, Who had the, uh, Michelle Williams had the best post-Dawson's career, right? Mm, yes. 
clearly. Yes, Josh Jackson, Jackson had a was... pretty good run because that Fringe show was pretty popular. But who did? Joshua Jackson. Yeah, he was awesome in that. Yeah, he had, yeah. He had, a, he had a decent, he had some like you know he was in the skulls and shit like that. But like uh, mm-hmm. he was in but, uh, Rules of a Ch- No, he was in Cruel Intentions. That's right. Yeah, but. <laughs> It, but Michelle Williams, I think, has been nominated for like four Oscars and, yeah. and uh, was an A-list actress and all that. So mm-hmm. has she won one? Away. I don't think she won one yet. I don't think so. Let me see. Because for uh, probably about five years, it was probably a race between Pacey, uh, Michelle Williams, and Katie Holmes. Because Katie Holmes was getting work until she ran into the Tom Cruise buzzsaw, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that it was that as much as she had a kid and has chosen to work very sparingly and to be a mom first. I don't think she was ever going to be like an Academy was, darling. Too. No, she, like, she doesn't seem like she has she that never, range. No, no. The, no. Uh, the, the the rumor was that when she did thank you for smoking, that Tom Cruise didn't want her to do a nude scene or a sex scene with uh, uh, Aaron Eckhart. And, hmm. and that was a, that was a big rumor. Who knows if it was true or not? But that right around that time, yeah, she got pregnant and all that. So it was I mean, she could have just decided to dedicate her life to being a mommy and all that, which is cool. Uh, How long do you think know. that cruise kid is? Oh, I just sure. saw her. It would be two thousand six, so she's like fourteen. Yeah, I was gonna say she's a teenager. Really? Yeah. God, we're old. She looks exactly like Katie Holmes. Does she and, really? And is, and is about as tall as she is. And and she's tall, right? Katie Holmes yeah, is tall. Katie Holmes is like five nine, five ten, somewhere around there. Hey, Paris Hilton is thirty nine. That's how that's how old we are. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Jesus Christ. I know. I, know. Oh, I see her. Yeah, she looks adorable. Yeah, yeah. Uh Michelle Williams has been nominated four times, has never won. Okay, let me see if I can name it off. All right. So Blue Valentine? That's one. Uh, the Marilyn Monroe thing. Yeah, my week with Marilyn. My week with Marilyn. Uh, was she nominated for Manchester by the Sea? She was. Okay. God the damn. Other, the, other one's the hardest one. Uh, okay. I said Blue Valentine. I said uh, my dinner with Andre. <laughs> species. She was twelve years old. No, no she was not nominated for Species. The the last one is hard. God damn. I mean, it's it's not a it's not it's it's a famous movie, but it's hard for you to remember that she was nominated for this movie. Gosford Park. No, no, that was Philippi was in. There. I got a guess. Is it Brokeback? It's Brokeback. Yeah. Ah! <clears throat> what a blind spot! Of course, it was Brokeback. Wasn't yeah. everybody nominated for Brokeback? Yes, there are people nominated for Brokeback. Jake, in the movie. Jake Gyllenhaal was nominated for that. That's a, he that's a crying shame. It was either Gyllenhaal or Hathaway. One of the other was not nominated. Oh um, wow! Oh, and they're both Hathaway's so subtle in that movie. She's oh, great. It may be one of her best performances. Actually, it really is. Oh man! Besides Dark Knight Rises, I don't. Yes, and Love and Other. In Dark Knight Rises, when she says, "You underestimated the people of Gotham," <laughs> and they're. Cat <laughs> the people of Pittsburgh, I mean of Gotham, are good. 
Yeah, Anne Hathaway was the one that was not nominated at a. Oh, poor lady. Uh, she won for Les Mis, though, right? After like 16 seconds of she won uh, for Les Mis, yes. Screen time. Anne Hathaway has been nominated twice. You would think it was more, but she's only nominated. All right, hold on. Was the other one wasn't Devil Wears Prada, right? Nope. That was Mer- Meryl Streep was nominated for that one, though, right? She was, yes. Okay, the other one was uh, Rachel Getting Married. That's what she got nominated for. She's excellent in that, man. She's yeah, such was, a bitch in that. Considered her one of her her breakouts was Rachel Getting Married. They are so up your alley that you will that spontaneously get hard nipples. Nice. I've never is there a, is there a verb for spontaneously getting hard nipples before? Is um, there a verb for getting hard nipples like nippling? Like no. uh, it will cause you to nipple. No, I'm not going to Google that. <clears throat> Uh, there isn't. I'm sure there is actually, but it was like something that was used in the 1300s and we don't use it anymore. <laughs> um, 